Have you ever been in a worship service where it felt like Jesus himself just sat there the whole time with you and held you? Have you ever been in one of those? Maybe in church or a camp or something like that. Have you ever been in that moment? Um, the moment where every element, the songs, the text itself, the, the communion moment, um, the prayers, whatever, if, it felt like it was exactly what you needed. You ever been in that? You ever felt that? Okay. Let me ask you a second question. Have you ever been in a worship service where everything just seemed to fall flat? You ever been in that? Yeah. Johnny's giggling because he's like, yeah, it's this church right here. And I'm just, <laughs> it's when I preached. Yeah. No. Just those moments that you were overly distracted. Every other thought was in your mind. Um, you were overly critical. I don't like that. I don't like that. He shouldn't have said that. She shouldn't have wore that. She shouldn't have sang that. Have you ever been in that moment, right? Where it just seemed like it was a waste of time. Well, today, the writer of Hebrews is going to address that specifically for us in Hebrews chapter 12. So newcomers, man, we are glad that you're here. And I'm going to give you a recap on chapters 1 through 12 in about 10 seconds. And regulars, I'm so glad y'all are here. (laughs) Um, And we're going to give us a reboot, okay? Here we go. Here's a recap. Chapters 1 through 11 could be summarized as, here is what right knowing is. If you need to know things about Jesus, here's what right knowing is. Chapters 1 through 11. Jesus is the heir of all things, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by his power, the purifier of sins, the one who's seated at the right hand of the majesty, the one who's superior to angels, He's the founder of our salvation. He's greater than Moses. He's the source of eternal rest. He's the great high priest. He's better than the temple, better than rituals, better than the law, better than sacrifices. He's the founder of the new covenant, and he's the single offering that has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. That's chapters 1 through 11. All of it in a nutshell. Those are literally quoted verses out of 1 through 11. That's who he is. You need to know that right knowing. Chapter 12 through 13 could be defined as right doing. If you know this, then you'll do this. And that right doing overflows, and this is what he's going to say. So therefore, right knowing, lay aside every weight, run with endurance, look to Jesus, consider discipline, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. Did anybody else notice Sam Calloway's weak knees last week? (laughs) Strive for peace. See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Weed eat any root of bitterness that's in your soul. War against sexual immorality. And by all means, don't be like Esau. Right knowing, here's who Jesus is, right doing. That's how it's been fleshing itself out. Now, let's tie that together with the initial questions that I ask you and then launch into the text. Right knowing and right doing will always produce right worship. Right knowing and right expression of that knowing will always lead you to leave going, hey, I 
I worship today. We're going to kind of flesh that out. Why? Because when we know right and we do right, the totality of our being, and do right, I don't mean get life right, okay? If you've ever been at Safe Haven for more than 30 seconds, you know that that's not what we proclaim at Safe Haven. We are a bunch of screw-ups. Welcome to the club, okay? But right knowing and right aligning will always lead us to focus our totality on Christ. So contextually for the original audience, he's saying, hey, Christ alone can get you there. Don't bail on Christ. Don't go back to the law. Contextually for today's audience, Christ alone, church, is the only thing that will make this moment a divine moment of worship. Period. And I pray the Lord will make that make sense as we go through the text. Let's pray. So Jesus, today's culture is just intoxicated with emotionalism and hype. And then we call that church. If the band strikes it right, if the mix of smoke and lights is just right, if I cry just a little bit, So, Lord, today I pray that we will fixate our minds' attention and hearts' affections solely on the mediator, Jesus Christ, and be able to walk out of here going, wow, I sat contemplating the greatness of Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray today that worship explodes in the hearts of some people for the first time. I pray that some people who have been duped by the understanding of, of, of a great worship service where the Spirit really moved us, where everybody danced around and shouted. And I pray that all of that is combated with the excellence of Jesus. Man, Jesus, if, if we walk out of here just going, whoa, Jesus is amazing. If you would do that for us, please do that. Because only you can accomplish that in our hearts. So make much of yourself excellent one, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in our midst. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Be seated. Be seated. So in the text, again, it's, it's, it lays itself out pretty clear. Uh, the first part is, is he's going to say, here's all you should know about Jesus. Here's all you should do. And therefore, don't be like Esau. Esau, the one who wanted the hand of God in his life, but wanted the heart of God nowhere part of his life at all. God, I want what you can give me, but I don't want you. Don't be like him. Worship greatly. And so it's going to lend itself to springboarding off of that is, okay, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to be a heart that worships unlike Esau? And so he, he pivots off of that by saying, let me, let me explain to you a worship that won't work. A worship that does not work. And that worship is a worship of someone who's trying to prove to God, a, a God that's, that's full of justified wrath, how good and worthy you are. 
that's, that's, that's a worship that'll never work. A one that can pull myself up by the bootstraps. A one that can, man, I can, I can really show you, God. I know that, that you are justifiedly wrathful, but I'm going to prove to you how I'm good. That it just, it'll never work. And so he begins by saying this, and here's how he says it. Because of what you know, because of what you do, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Now what he's doing, he's reiterating some worship that happened back in the Old Testament, back in Exodus, at Mount Sinai. And he says this, For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So you've got some people who were attempting to come to worship in Exodus. And you guys remember, we went through the book of Exodus um, last year. So so you'll kind of remember some of these things. They came to worship. And in this moment, what they found was this fearful God. A God who, who, who literally said, hey... Don't even touch the edge of this mountain because if you touch the edge of the mountain, I'm going to, I'm going to have to kill you. I'm going to have to kill you, brothers. Don't even come that... You, but they're coming to worship, okay? So, so they find this, this God. And if you'll remember, they came and they were like, but we do love God and we're not going to look at him and we're going to... Blah, blah, blah. And they walked away and then God began to give the Old Testament commandments, the Ten Commandments. There's actually 613 commandments that's given in the Old Testament. So so he gives all the commandments. They back away from the mountain. And who remembers what they end up going and doing? In the moment that they came to worship, God says, all right, I'll give you something. They back away. They go out into the the backfield and say, hey, anybody with earrings, we need your gold. We need your jewelry, your necklaces. And we're going to do what with it? We're going to build a calf. We, we, we love God so much that we're going to come to worship him, but we're not going to listen to him. We're going to go away. And we're going to build this moment, this something that will make the, the hairs on our arms stand up. We're going to build something we can control, something that we can manipulate, something that we can come to and worship. Even in that moment, they completely get it warped. It's this works-based mentality. The whole point I'm trying to get at is the Mount Sinai moment found there in Exodus 19. God came down, but not on a puffy white cloud. This brother came like in a Harley, growling, room. You want to know who I am? Here's who I am, room, my power, my might. So much so the people, you can't even come near me. I'm so different than you. I'm holy. If you try to touch the mountain I'm on, I'll have to smite you. God approached rebellious man in this way. Why? To show them that they needed a mediator because they couldn't do it on their own. The whole point was to come down and show his power, show his might, show show his wrath, show all of that. And give them the law so that they would look at the law and go, whoa, if I have to fulfill this to be able to touch the mountain, I'm never going to touch the mountain. 
The whole point of the law was to show them, you can't get to me, so that they would bow down and go, whoa, we're not worthy. God, we've got to have somebody like Job screamed out. Job screamed out, God, I need somebody that can touch you and touch me simultaneously. If if I'm ever going to get there, I've got to have that. I've got to have a mediator. He said, listen, I came down like a Harley to show you that. And what did you do? You backed away and you said, okay, we'll go figure it out on our own. You missed it. You missed the whole point. And in order to find joy, they tried to cultivate their own acts of worship. We'll conjure up what we like. How we like, when we like, what we like. And they made a golden calf. They turned the laws of God into ritualism and a grind. A grind that, boy, I can pull this off. I can make God happy with me. I can smile. I can do this. I can not do these things. I can do these things. I can pull this off. They reached down. And God came down and said, listen, I'm so holy. There's nothing you can do. You can't come near me. And they bent down like this. And they grabbed their shoelaces. Tied them up a little bit tighter. Said, we'll show you. They missed it. And worship can be that exact same thing. Any type of worship that is a works-based worship. If you showed up today so that you could make God happy with you, I'll, I'll show you God. I'll go to church today. And it's safe haven. And I'll show them. I won't even wear my shorts. I'll put on my best holy jeans. <laughs> you missed it. You missed it. There's no worship there. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can bring. Even if you cry a little bit today. Even if you shout a little bit today. Like in just a minute, we're going to have a whole worship set. Like we're going to have, like you're like, Troy, are we gonna work? we're going to sing today? Because honestly, I came to sing. <laughs> uh, we're going to sing a lot. But if your understanding of worship is that, man, I really dug what they just did and that was really cool. You missed it. You missed it. That's what they tried to do. So he says, listen, you didn't didn't come to these things. You you didn't come to things you can touch, things you can smell, things you can taste. You You didn't come to what they had to come to at Mount Sinai. You didn't come to works. You didn't come to law. You didn't come... Through Jesus, you didn't come to tie your bootstraps and go, I can do this right. You did not do that. You're different. So he says, worship is not that. And then he says, a worship that erupts. A worship that erupts is proclaiming to God of justified wrath how excellent the sun is. That's worship. That's how you know if you engaged in worship today. That's how you know if, if, if you had that moment where you came before the throne. The question is not, what did you do? The question is, who did you contemplate? What was your heart's affection set on? What was your mind's attention set on? What was it? Was it Christ and Christ alone? And he's going to say it this way. 
You didn't come to Mount Sinai, law, all those works, trying to prove yourself, missing the point. But you have come to Mount Zion, verse 22, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus. Here we go. You have come to the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. How often people come to church and miss the voice of Jesus who is speaking because they're enamored with the voice of a man or a woman. Don't miss Christ. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who uh, warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore... And we'll wrap it up here today. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God, lest you thought I was making all this up, acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is consuming fire. He says, let's, let's come to Him. Let's focus on him. Let's be enamored with him. If you want to have reverence and all, if you want to come before a consuming body, come enamored with Christ. Mount Sinai, the place that God came down like a Harley. Mount Zion is used in Scripture as the final place where God doesn't come to man, but man is finally able to come to God. It's a whole different mountain, and that requires... A mediator. Again, that was the whole point of the first mountain moment was so that they would walk away going, we came to worship, but we can't worship unless we have a mediator. Unless we have somebody who can make this make sense. We can't worship. And they missed it. And he says, but now you have the mediator and you have access to come and worship freely before him. To have that moment through Christ. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is getting at. 1 Peter 2, 6, he says it this way. Behold, I'm laying in Zion, Mount Zion, a stone, a cornerstone. He's chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Christ will not be put to shame. The mediator does a couple of things. The mediator Christ brings us to the temple mount, according to these verses, before the throne of the living God Almighty. Remember the former mount? Couldn't even touch the edge of it. Through Christ, if you're a believer in this room, he's brought you past the threshold of the mountain, straight into the presence of the living God. The mediator brings us into the heavenly Jerusalem, which is ultimately what Zion is. He brings us straight 
into eternal heaven. Yes, we are positionally saved now, and we are presently saved now, but we're, we're already there. We're, we're, we're future saved too. We're, we're in it all. We, we get into the heavenly Jerusalem because of the mediator. The mediator brings us, according to this verse, to where innumerable angels are worshiping in festal gathering. Through Christ, we are singing today with the angels in heaven who are singing before the throne. Has that thought ever come, crossed your mind? Like as, you, as, you, as you've come to worship, like if, has that ever processed through your brain? Today I stand amongst angels who are worshiping before the throne. Maybe when we sang the song, A Million Angels Fall, Echo Holy, maybe in that moment, but day by day, do we live that way? In Christ, you can. The mediator has brought us to the enrollment of the firstborn. In other words, to the place where people's imperfect names have been made perfect. Through Christ, you've been brought to where your name is made perfect. That should make you shout and amen and get chills. Not simply when Britt whips out the harmonica and... Does that overflow your heart? The mediator, according to this passage, brings us also to himself, whose blood isn't screaming Abel's blood. You remember Cain and Abel? Cain killed his brother Abel, and the blood screamed from the ground, Death has come. In Christ, his blood screaming something too for you. My life for their life. When you're contemplating that, it doesn't matter if you're singing when the roll is called up yonder or Jesus loves the little children or the latest and greatest by Elevation Church. It doesn't matter. All cultural contextualization is gone. You know that the church at Corinth... Didn't sing Amazing Grace. Like that's not a divinely inspired song. It's just a song. They didn't sing that. Monks aren't singing Carrie Job. It doesn't matter when your focus in worship is, Whoa, I am standing before the one whose blood is screaming, They live because I died. It doesn't matter. You're just in worship. And the writer of Hebrews says, come that way and you'll never be shaken. The mediator brings us to the consuming fire. And how can you not read those words and not think about third day? And there's only a portion of our generation that even understands that. The rest of your life. Third day, what's it like? When Jesus rose again? It's the band. It's the greatest band of all times. Other than Matchbox 20 and Beastie Boys, but that's another thing. <laughs> the mediator brings us to the consuming fire, the one who is full of power and wrath. But he brings us excited to introduce us to his dad.
You get that? That's how we worship. Mount Sinai. God, I don't want to get sidetracked because it's time to sing. Um, like in our culture, we're like, hey, I'm, I want to get a word from the Lord today. Anybody ever said that? Today I want a word from the Lord. I need a word from the Lord. Do you remember what they said in Exodus? God, do not talk to us. We don't, we can't fathom the thought of hearing your voice. I'm coming like this. Bowed down. And I'm out of here. To go show you how good I can be. But through Christ. It's not that imagery. The new covenant we come to worship. Where Jesus has got our hand and going, hey, we're about to meet dad. We're about to meet dad. Come on, come on. And we're going, ah, I can't. And he goes, through my blood, you can. Now, I'm not worthy. You're right, you're not worthy. But I am worthy. Here's the Father. And through Christ, the Father says, come on. Cross the threshold. Cross the threshold of the mountain. Straight into my loving embrace. That is worship. So with that said, it's why we gather today. It's why we sing. It's why we study. It's why we take communion. It's why we teach kids. So that true worship will erupt in these four walls before the throne in exaltation of the Son. So at the end of the day, the question is not, did that song give me chill bumps up and down my arms? The question is not, did that prayer make me feel like I entered into a whole other realm? The question is not, did that message feel like it was aimed just at me? The question is not, did those people make me feel loved, special, accepted, valued, known? The question is not, did that highlight video motivate me or make me laugh or make me want to plug in more? The question is not, did the communion, did the baptism, did the child dedication, did the mission moment inspire me to march forward the rest of the week? It's not those questions. And yes, all those things may feel right to ask. The problem is they're never once mentioned as a moment of worship in Scripture. Never. I like those questions, though. That lets me know that I was in worship. At the end of the day, biblically, the question is, did you consider how both the law and wrath of God had you trapped in fear and then Jesus broke that to pieces, setting you free? Did you consider that? The question is, Did you consider today how Jesus became your mediator? The one who could touch God and touch you simultaneously. 
Did you consider how Jesus sets you free to rejoice on earth right now in a whole new way, unlike ever before? Did you consider how Jesus set you free to celebrate among angels in festal gathering, whatever that is? Did you consider how Jesus has removed you from this shaking earth that is going away? Did you consider how Jesus has removed your shaking and trembling heart that says, I'm not worthy to be here, and replaced it with, through me, you are perfect and righteous and holy? If so, then you've approached the God who's a consuming fire with reverence and awe and offered him acceptable worship. Not because you were overwhelmed with emotionalism, but because you were enamored by the glorious Son, Jesus Christ. That's worship. I thought about the angels. Warrior angels, they're not concerned with mood modification. If you came to church today to go, I want to get my mood right. Like, warrior angels are not concerned with mood modification. They're just not. They're warrior angels. They'll smack you twice and not think twice about it. I mean, they're warrior angels. As a matter of fact, they're not even concerned with their self at all from the pictures we see in Scripture. Everything fades into oblivion as they exalt the excellence of Jesus in his presence. Let's do the same. Warrior angels are concerned with Christ's exaltation. And all other forms of worship can become, to tie it in, a golden calf. Let's be careful that our favorite worship artist doesn't become our idol. That our favorite style of teaching doesn't become our idol. That our greatest creature comfort doesn't become our idol. I guess the question I'm asking is, if we sang in nothing but acapella today and turned off the air conditioned unit and shut off these lights and just ripped that so we had a little bit of sunshine coming through and it's about 900 degrees in here, would you? still worship. When we worship, are you thinking about the fact that you're standing in the presence of Christ? That you're standing surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before chapter 11. That you're Standing to worship indwelled with the same Holy Spirit pulsing through your veins that raised Christ from the dead. Are you thinking about standing before the home of the consuming God Almighty? And most importantly, are you thinking about the fact that you are standing face to face? With Jesus, whose grace enables 
your ability to stand. That's worship. Perhaps the best worship I've ever heard or experienced was completely off-key. When nobody cared about the person to their right or their left, but we're just in a room to worship an audience of one. Will we be that church? Will we, will we be that? Will we be that people? All right, I'll say one more thing, and then the band will lead us. In 1999, Matt Redman got it right. And some of y'all know exactly where I'm headed with this. When he wrote the words to the song, Heart of Worship. The band's going to come back up. And maybe we'll just start there. And then let's see if we can focus our mind's attention and heart's affections solely on Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I consider the ability to gather with fellow saints and brothers and sisters to be the highest joy that we could ever experience together while on earth. But I do wonder... How many times my own heart has made something of worship that is not? Tell this story. Don't tell that story. Say this joke. What? Have the band play this. Whatever. Lord Jesus, would you be gracious to find at Safe Haven not a clanging gong, but worshipers who find themselves enamored with the person and work of Jesus Christ.